Dubs and cassette tapes. I'm Andy, and I am your host. All right, so it's been a, a few weeks here since we uploaded an episode to the main channel here. I've been doing a lot of content on um, the Ghostbusters show that we have on the channel as well, Ecto-1 Radio. Been doing some stuff on the YouTube channel for ticket stubs and cassette tapes, um, you know, mainly surrounding the Ghostbusters show. Um, as many of you may not know, if you're not Ghostbusters fans, it was recently Ghostbusters Day, so I've been doing a lot of content for that, and haven't had just a lot of time to do anything on the main podcast here, so I wanted to do something today. I actually wanted to do a classic review, and so we are going to review Jaws today. Jaws, the classic um, film from 1975, the Steven Spielberg classic. Uh, It's one of my favorite movies of all time. In my opinion, it's one of the best summer movies. I think it is certainly the best shark movie, you know, that ever has been made or probably ever will be made. Um, It's based off of the novel by Peter Benchley um, and also written by Carl Gottlieb. Just it's just a classic, you know. It's just a classic, classic movie that still holds up extremely well today. Um, we'll get into some of the reasons for that, but yeah, looking forward to reviewing Jaws today, talking a little bit about that. Um, first, I just want to make mention of a few things. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter, Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes, where we will, you know, I'll always upload the links to our show. Um, you can, uh, also again, check out our YouTube channel right now. We only have, uh, Ghostbusters content up, but I'm planning on doing some more gaming stuff with, with different franchises. Um, you know, eventually I would like to move the show to a YouTube type of format. I'll, I'll always still have the podcast feed and the, the audio version of the show, but I would like to do a YouTube version of the show and do some live shows, um, you know, every now and again. So looking forward to, you know, making that happen in the future. Um, and wherever you're listening, um, thank you for listening. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. Um, so plenty of, of listening options out there for you. And wherever you're listening, thank you for listening. All right, so before I get into the review for Jaws here, um, I do want to make mention of some, uh, you know, movie news that we have. I know that, you know, we have some big movies um, sort of on the horizon coming out. This weekend, as I'm recording, uh, The Flash is going to release in theaters. I'm really excited about that. I'm not the biggest uh, fan of DC, you know, I do like Batman and, you know, 
sort of a big Superman fan. I, w- I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, just a huge fan of Superman, but I do enjoy those movies. Uh, you know, The Flash has never really been my favorite character. It's not been a character that I've followed, um, you know, as well as Aquaman or, or whoever. I, I'm not really the biggest, you know, fan of a lot of the superheroes in DC like I was with, with Marvel. And, you know, even really with Marvel, I'm not just a super super fan you know i'm i'm sort of just kind of you know i read some of the comics and played some of the games and um you know i've watched the mcu but you know i i guess what i'm really trying to say is i'm not the biggest you know fan of superhero stuff i i am a fan of it but you know there's definitely as you can tell you know, in the world today, there are huge, huge fans that, that keep these, you know, franchises going. And so I, I definitely wouldn't put myself in that upper upper tier of, of fans as far as superhero films. But with that being said, the Michael Keaton Batman character, you know, those movies, you know, really helped launch, um, you know, the modern sort of superhero uh, movie era really in my opinion between you know his Batman and, and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man you know and then you know going all the way up to you know um, Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. you know a lot of those were films that really helped spark the love for uh, the superhero films that we know today when you know back then when Batman came out in 89 it just wasn't you know, a, a big thing to to go see a superhero film. It wasn't like this huge thing, but you know, he sort of launched, um, you know, the character of Batman into uh, you know a different kind of status with with the nineteen eighty nine with Tim Burton's Batman in eighty nine and um, and the sequel as well, which uh, in my opinion it's not as good as the first one, but it is a it is a good film to me it's a film i enjoy but i i really am looking forward to seeing uh michael keaton back as batman back as bruce wayne you know i'm really hoping this film devotes a lot of time to him i know that there are people who um will say otherwise or will complain you know about the fact that you know it's a flash movie and batman's basically getting you know all of the attention but to me, I I just don't know how much interest there was going to be in a Flash movie uh, with Ezra Miller and, and you know, just kind of where we're at with uh, DC and, and the character of the Flash. I, I just don't know that there would have been as much interest. So, you know, injecting Michael Keaton into this is really going to, help this movie go above and beyond and and i think it'll do really well from what we've heard people like the movie so far of course you know that doesn't really matter until you get to see the the movie and and make your own judgment on it just as i will um but i'm really looking forward to it you know i I would really love to see a michael keaton another standalone movie maybe something to sort of uh you know wrap up his his character you know his his version of batman um so maybe this can do it for us and 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 you know again i'm really looking forward to this movie and so i will watch it this weekend and i will review it on the channel and um 
and yeah, so that that's what we have right now on on the docket. We also have um, Indiana Jones coming up. Um, you know, I, I I don't know about this one right now. I know that you know I'm I'm also an Indiana Jones fan, as you could probably guess. Um, I'm gonna review the Indiana Jones films on the podcast, but as far as this movie is concerned, there's been you know pretty mixed reviews on it so far. A lot of negative, uh, some positive. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of people have different thoughts about it, and um, you know, with the last film that came out being uh, Crystal Skull, you know, this is one of those franchises that now is. Um, there's a lot more attention given to it in terms of will it be any good? And, um, you know, when, when you have sort of a, I don't want to say a divisive film with Crystal Skull because I don't really think it was divisive. I think it just, you know, wasn't, it's not seen as a very good movie. Um, I didn't love it. Um, but, um, when you have something like that come out, you know, if you do anything after that, if there's a subsequent sequel, um, you know, there's always going to be, uh, you know, some hesitancy there with, with the fan base and, and, you know, with critics and everything. So, um, you know, this movie's got, it's got quite a bit to, to live up to, but it's also got, you know, some negative feelings probably coming in from a lot of people who still remember, you know, Crystal Skull and, and how that, just didn't really work out as a movie at all so um we'll see on it uh i'm you know you you guys know me if you've been listening to the the show for any amount of time i'm i'm very much a you know when i go in the theater to see a movie i'm leaving all my any you know preconceived notions or thoughts or anything at the door and i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna take in what they give me and what they show me and then i will make my opinion based off that uh and that alone so Nobody's opinion's gonna affect me, you know. Nothing I, I saw or thought about the movie before I, I went in is going to affect me. It's simply, you know, what I see on the screen will affect me. So I will, um, you know, be more than happy to give my review of that movie after I see it. And so we're looking forward to that as well. Um, not just a whole lot going on uh, besides that at the moment. I haven't really. Uh, you know, seen much um, as, as as far as new movies uh, in the last few weeks. I did uh, see Renfield the other night. Um, I don't know that I'll do a full out review on that movie. Uh, you know, I think that the time maybe for that has come and gone. And and to be honest with you, I thought it was okay. Um, didn't didn't think it was great. I, I did enjoy Nicolas Cage. I did enjoy the special effects. I thought that there was a lot of attention put towards that. The story was uh, fun, but you know there were there were parts of the movie where I found myself getting a little bored, uh, to be honest. And uh, uh, you know, I thought it picked back up late in the movie, but there were still some. You know, there was quite a bit of zoning out for me, which which I usually do not do during movies, but um, it, it kind of started to lose my interest, uh, you know, during parts of the movie. So I thought the movie was okay. It had some bright spots. Um, I think it was it was a fun little movie. 
Uh, is it something that I would ever go out of my way to watch again? I don't know. You know, if it you know if it was just on one day or uh, you know I didn't have anything else going on, maybe. But um, you know, it's definitely not a movie I think I'll purchase and, and own. So you know, besides that, that there's not been much going on in the way of new movies that I've taken in. So um, looking forward to these newer ones. But today, um, let's move into Jaws from 1975 this is one that when I started this channel um, back a couple of years ago I was really excited to re review because um, you, you know the the idea of reviewing classic movies means that I want to do a lot of movies that aren't uh, considered quote-unquote classics so I want to do some movies that maybe didn't get the critical fanfare or, you know, movies that maybe are just cult films and, you know, don't have the biggest fan base in the world because I love a lot of those movies. Um, but you also have movies like this, right? You have movies like The Jaws or The Star Wars or The Ghostbusters or um, whatever that are, um, they're big movies. They, they were classics and... You know, they they um, really were made in the perfect time. You know, I think Jaws was made in, in the perfect time uh, specifically because, you know, today, if, if Jaws never existed back in 75, if Steven Spielberg never decided to make this movie and we never got it and, you know, we had somebody today who decided to make it, it would undoubtedly be an extremely, extremely different different film, and I think it, it would be for the worst, for sure. I think there would be a lot of CGI. I think that they would show the shark a lot more than need that they need to. I think that um, the the feel of the movie I think would be a lot different. Um, you know, this is a movie that is. It's kind of like a horror movie, uh, you know. You, I would definitely put it in that category, but at the same time, it, it's got such an adventure type feel that's of its time, and and it's the type of feel that I love in a movie. And, and Jaws is one of the reasons that I I love these kinds of movies. That um, you know, it, it's just like. It, it's more than just what it's advertised as, right? Like, if you look at, like, uh, one of the posters for Jaws, it'll say, like, the, a terrifying motion picture or, you know, something like that, and, and they just play it off as horror. And, again, while it is that, again, it's just, it's just a big adventure film that is, you know, ends up with three guys isolated on a boat out in the ocean and, um, you know... It just kind of turns into this epic thing while still being kind of a relatively small story type of feel. So it's definitely got Steven Spielberg's fingerprints all over it. I mean, you know, he is a master of making that kind of movie where it's got this, you know, really big feel to it. Um, and so I think that it was perfect when it came out. I think it, the, the, the timing of the release of this movie was perfect. You know, even if this movie was made 10 years later, uh, in the mid eighties, I think that they would have, you know, with, with the 
impact of the horror genre and the slasher genre and the uh, you know, what they call like the trauma category of horror where, you know, everything was, you know, blood and guts and, and special effects, which there's some of those movies that I like when they're done right. But um, I think that this movie probably would have fallen more into that camp uh, if, if it would have been made 10 years later. So, again, just I think it was just perfect timing when this movie came out. But let's get into it here. Um, Jaws from 1975. This movie stars Roy Scheider as uh, Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, uh, Lorraine Gary as Ellen, uh, Murray Hamilton as Mayor Vaughn, um, Carl Gottlieb, who uh, wrote the film. Um, he uh, stars as Meadows. And then you've got some other uh, very various actors as, as some of the characters here. Um, including uh, Chris Rebello as Michael Brody, um, who is um, Ellen and Captain Brody's son. You've also got uh, Jay Mello as Sean Brody, their other son. You've got uh, Lee Fierro as Mrs. Kittner, Jeffrey Voorhees as Alex Kittner. Of course, if you've seen the movie, you know who Alex Kittner is. Um, Robert Nevin as the medical examiner. Um so yeah, there's uh, for the time there's a lot of star power in here. Um, you know Robert Shaw, obviously a legendary you know stage actor. He 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 really ties this movie together with a real pretty bow. I mean he you know some of the dialogue that he delivers, the character that he plays has become legendary in in acting. And I mean there are plenty of people who have never even seen Jaws, who can quote you some of Quint's speech from the boat um, uh, the night before the big epic ending of the movie. So, um, you know, that there's so much to um, that character, and there's so much that Robert Shaw brought to that character. One of the things right off the top here that I love so much about this movie is Roy Schotter and sort of the um not not just the character that he plays but the the story to the character that he plays the fact that he's you know this this officer the sheriff on a um you know a small town um island um but yet he's terrified of water he's he's a guy who who came from the city so he's not and, you know, they're not Islanders. He's, this is not a place that he grew up or anything like that. This is definitely him out of his territory and out of his comfort zone. And, you know, the way that him and um, Lorraine Gary, who plays Ellen, his wife, the way that they work together is really a lesson in how to play a husband and wife. They're They're very good together. They have a lot of chemistry. You know, his chemistry with... The two boys who play his sons, Chris Rebello and Jay Mello, um, as Michael and Sean Brody, um, it's it's very good, and it's evident that they put a lot of thought into making this character feel like a real person, and all of these characters feel like real people. Um, you know, to the point where the only one in the movie who's really a little bit more um, uh, played up. 
you know, f- for the movie is is Robert Shaw's character is Quint, but that works. You know, he's he's really the only one that's a little bit larger than life, but everybody else feels like real characters and and real people. And um, Roy Scheider is just, uh, you know, he's he's incredible in this movie. You know, again, the way he plays kind of the scared uh, guy who's supposed to be in charge of taking care of these problems. Um, you know, it, it the juxtaposition of him with Quint and and Hooper and Mayor Vaughn. I mean, it all works together. And and that's another thing about this movie. I mean, uh, when you look at it, there's not just a ton of people in this movie. I mean, we spend a lot of the movie out on a boat with three guys, like I said. But even when they're in town, you're not getting loaded down with all these characters. That's why I said it kind of feels like a small story because we focus on just a handful of characters, which I always like those movies. I think when you get to know characters better um, and there's not just a ton of them, it, it for me, it always works a, a little better because you feel more invested in them and what you know they're doing and and so you know i've always enjoyed that part of it again it's a spielberg film he knows what he's doing when it comes to you know making characters that feel real and and lovable and so roy Scheider, lorraine gary you know they're great in their roles i've talked about quint um hooper richard dreyfus as as matt hooper this is a character that um when you first kind of look at this story, you almost think you don't even need this character, right? Because you have Quint. You have the guy who is, you know, professes that he can kill the shark, and, and he comes across as that gritty, uh, you know, aged guy who's dealt with these problems before, and he acts like it's no big deal. I can go out there. I can get the shark. And so you would think at sort of first instance that between him and, and Brody, that you don't even need this Hooper character, but he comes in and adds so much to the movie before you even get to the Quint stuff. Um, because obviously he's an, I think he's like an oceanographer or something like that. He, he's a marine biologist. Um, a guy who, you know, studies and has made a life out of studying, you know, sea life and, and sea animals. And, you know, he knows sharks. And so he comes in and he kind of gets the, the, the the big plot of the story started by letting the people in this town know that hey you know this girl this uh, this girl that's been killed you know this was not this was not a boating accident this was definitely a shark and he sort of helps um, you know Brody go after the mayor and put the pressure on him uh, you know to do something about this and what really works for me with Hooper is not his relationship with Brody, but his relationship with Quint. I think it's kind of pretty well known at this point that uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss, I don't think they got along very well, and you can see it in the movie. I mean, it's definitely there. Their characters are not meant to get along. And, you know, so I think that... Uh, unfortunately the real life uh relationship between those two bled over into the movie but in a good way for the movie um and so you know him being there and the the dynamic between the three guys on the boat Brody Quentin Hooper 
is just incredible. When you get to the late in the movie when they're out on the ocean, you know, hunting this shark down, it's some of the best filmmaking. It's it's some of the best story, uh, visuals. It, it's it's just some of the best stuff that you can see in cinema um, ever made, in my opinion. It's it's keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. A lot of that has to do with the shark, but a lot of it has to do with, with these guys. I mean, the whole scene um, where Quint gives his speech where, you know, they're in the, they're, it's not time, they're in the, the deck of the boat or under the boat, and they're, you know, drinking and, and swapping stories and, and talking about their shark bites and uh, their injuries and their tattoos or whatever. Um, that's just incredible stuff. It really is. It makes you feel like you're there. Um, it's there's so much good dialogue there, especially again when you get to Quint's speech and you know him talking about the USS Indianapolis, and to me that's just one of pretty much has always been my favorite part of the movie, which is kind of funny. My favorite part of the movie has nothing to do with the shark. It's you know the dialogue between uh, you know these three characters and. Um, Quint's speech, this USS Indianapolis speech, the way he delivers this, the story, the music, the, the little little bit of soft score that plays, the, the fact that you're sitting under the boat, um, you can see through the windows the night and the, and the water out there, and you can't, you know, it's, it, that's always been kind of creepy to me that you can't, when it's dark out, uh, you know, like when it's light outside on the ocean, you can't see under the water. But when it's dark out, th- that may as well just be a a massive black void. You can't see anything in that water. You can't even there's your line of sight is you know it's like ten feet you know until you see moonlight hitting the ocean way far out. But you can't see anything. So. Them being down there, that little bit of score, what you can see in the background, the rocking back and forth of the boat and the the noises that the boat makes. I mean, it's just incredible stuff, you know. And and the way he delivers this USS Indianapolis speech is, I mean, it's mesmerizing. It's one of those moments in, in in a movie where just can't take your eyes off the screen. Um, I've never seen this movie in a theater. I would absolutely love if, you know, my local theater or even somebody a couple hours away within a couple hours driving distance would put this back in theaters for a weekend or something because I would be the first in line to go see it. I would love to see this on a big screen uh, with the surround sound. I think that, um, you know, this would... This obviously plays well into that setting, but that's my personal favorite moment from the film. Um, But I don't want to skip, you know, I did want to talk about the characters there, but I don't want to immediately skip to the end of the movie. So let's talk about the shark, Um, the the star of the movie. uh, For all intents and purposes, I would really say that the shark, you know, is probably not actually the star of the movie uh, because... If you know anything about the making of this movie, you know that the shark didn't work half the time. They built this mechanical shark um, they nicknamed Bruce, um, which basically worked as... uh, I mean, it was 
I wouldn't say it was like a puppet, uh, kind of in the vein of a puppet. Um, but you know, this massive, you know, 20 foot shark, which they went to this, this movie was filmed in Martha's Vineyard. So they went out in Martha's Vineyard, you know, buried this crane at the bottom of, of the ocean. I think it was only maybe, you know, I don't know. I think I've heard where it was like 30 feet deep at the deepest out there where they shot. So they buried this huge crane. They put this shark on the top of it, and they used the crane to move the shark back and forth through the water. And you obviously have um, effects um, <clears throat> that can move his mouth, move his eyes. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think his tail can, can move. I could be wrong. I, I, I could be wrong. Maybe it doesn't in this movie. Um but yeah, they basically have servos that can move all the facial features. And wouldn't you know it, when you bury that kind of piece of technology, especially in 1974 when this movie was filmed, uh, in a big saltwater ocean, the technology is going to mess up. It's going to cause the, you know, the technology to screw up a lot because, as we know, technology in water, and especially roughed, rough uh sea salt water does not mix very well so most of the time the shark was broken that is why you do not see the shark a lot in this movie that's why you know they save a lot of the shots for later in the film the shark was supposed to be seen quite a bit more than it is um but it is my opinion and i think it's a lot of people's opinions that that is the best thing that could have ever happened to them because this movie is the definition of less is more. The less you see of the shark, the better. The The shark in this movie looks believable. It looks real. It looks so much better than what anybody could do with CGI. It, it It's... It's massive, and it it just looks super believable for most of the movie. I would say there's probably a couple of shots with the the the, the jowls that it has on the side of its mouth, where you can kind of tell it's a, a you know a built practical effect. But it's really not that noticeable. I mean, with the coloring on it, with uh, the way they control this thing, the way they choose to shoot it. Um, it looks incredible, and it does look like a good, real shark, to me anyway, and and to a lot of people. I you know I, I think this movie is a classic for a reason, and it's still a classic for a reason. Um, and I think that for me personally, you know, in some of the the sequels to this movie, this this shark looks better than it does in some of the sequels when it's a different shark with updated features. So it just it says a lot about the people who worked on this film and about Steven Spielberg and how they adapted. Again, this this shark was supposed to be in the movie a lot more. You know, there's um, if you go on YouTube, there's a, a video you can find on the uh, basically the concept art for the Alex Kittner death in the movie. Now, if you don't know what that is. Alex Kittner was the little boy on the yellow raft who gets killed and basically sets you know, a lot of the, the, uh, events of the movie into motion. He's, he's, 
I think Chrissy is the the first victim, obviously, the opening of the movie, but this little boy is the one where things really get moving. Uh, you know, he's obviously eaten, and, um, you know, I know that his mother is, you know, puts out an ad to bring in shark hunters to try to capture this thing, and it, it just sort of sets off a lot of events. But in the original concept art for his death, um, there was supposed to be a lot more of the shark scene. I don't, you don't see really any of the shark in the shot. You, you you see him being pulled underwater. You see the blood. You see the shark's fins rolling. Um, but in the original version of the movie, the shark was supposed to like jump out of the water and grab him, and it was supposed to be a little bit more brutal. But to me personally, when you see what happened to him, it just looks a lot more real. It looks... You know, a shark wouldn't make a big spectacle out of, uh, you know, attacking its prey. I, I think it would it would happen probably a lot like it happened in the movie. It would come from under the depths and pull them down. Um, I know this is a little bit of a morbid topic, but um, it's just a it's just, it's a great example of the shark not working properly, them not being able to pull off something they originally intended, and it working out for the best. Um, you know, this this. Uh, um, music cue. Uh, I haven't even mentioned this so far. John Williams scored this movie. The incredible, you know, my favorite composer, certainly of all time, the incredible John Williams, who obviously uh, composed Star Wars, all the Star Wars movies, and and composed uh, Indiana Jones. I mean, the, this is another one of his classic films. The Donna, 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 Donna. That's John Williams. That score combined with uh, the camera shots of the fin above water, those are incredible ways to show the shark without actually showing the shark. Another incredible way that they pulled that off were the yellow barrels that you see later in the film where they shoot the, the shark, attach these barrels to him to, to try to keep track of them. And now in the movie, every time you see those, that's your notification of there's the shark so this is their way of showing you again showing you the shark without actually showing you the shark they're letting you know it's there through these barrels it's you know these are genius ideas that that uh you know steven spielberg you know came up with to portray the threat of the shark and really you know make do with what he had because again the shark just didn't work half the time this was a movie that very easily could have been scrapped at the last minute. I know that I, I forget how um, how long it took them to shoot this movie, but it went way over schedule. It went over budget. Um, you know, I know that you know all's well that ends well, and everybody's certainly happy with how the movie you know ended up. But I, you know, at the, this was one of those movies that was kind of disastrous to make. And you can see why. I mean, a movie like this had never been done before, you know, where they're filming out on an ocean. You have a killer shark that you have to show, and you have to have all these special uh, special practical effects. You have to, you know, also worry about your story and the characters. I mean, there's so much going on in a lot of moving pieces. But the shark not working, again, is the best thing to ever happen to this movie. I think some of the sequels... Sh- should have uh, taken a page out of that book. 
and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the sequels towards the end of this, but um yeah, it's one of the best things that that happened to this movie was the shark not working. Um the uh finale to this movie is to me uh, personally there are a few movies in history that have incredible epic finales that you just know off the top of your head as soon as you think of the movie right for for me star wars is one of them uh the original star wars with the you know, exploding of the death star luke exploding the death star um you have uh, et i think is is a great one with uh you know the 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 alien leaving earth and um, you know that whole sort of emotional scene, um, and you have you have Jaws where uh, you know smile, you son of a, you know th- this is an incredible uh, moment where uh, it's maybe a little a little unrealistic that uh, you know the 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 shark would um, just hold this uh this air tank in its mouth in perfect view for this shot but hey it works for the movie and um you know it is incredibly epic the death of quint is one of those deaths that are it sticks to and it it sticks with you and it's it's really for me one of the most memorable parts of the movie because it's so brutal the way that the shark attack happens what always sticks out to me about his death is the lack of noise the lack of music when it happens right shark jumps on the ship which is probably one of the more you know unrealistic moments of the movie but you know whatever it's an iconic moment the shark kind of leaps onto the end of the ship pulls the back half of it down this, the the ship is sinking and now you know uh Quint is sliding down um from the under under the deck into the main deck and essentially sliding into the shark's mouth and he's kind of like fighting it and there's you know the sound of the boat sinking and and the sound of the shark kind of flailing on the ship there's no music though the, i mean it's just played almost like it's really happening in real life. And, you know, he finds his way into the shark's mouth and then he bites down and that scream and the blood coming out of his mouth is one of those movies that I remember, you know, seeing when I was a kid, one of those uh, times where I, it's just, that stuck with me. You know, that was, to me, was always the scariest part of the film, even though, even more so than the, the, the Kittner death because, um, the way that he's fighting to stop this, the the way he's reaching for Brody's hand, um, and and the way that the shark just bites him, he's screaming and the shark pulls him slowly down under the water. There's it's just been to me it's one of the most eerie deaths in any movie ever because it's just like that's how quick it happened. You know, it just, he was a prominent uh, character in the movie and boom, just gone. And there was no big music cue. They, they, they didn't make it seem epic. It just happened and it sounded real. And one of the better shot sequences in the entire movie to me. And, um, the death of Quinn is always, uh, has always stuck out to me in that movie as being like, you know, something that is almost nightmare fuel, you know. Um, you know, you obviously lose Hooper, who uh, got 
um, uh, knocked out of the uh, shark cage or had to exit the shark cage because it was getting ripped apart by the shark. Which, by the way, we you know I didn't talk about this. the 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 shark cage sequence is interesting because it's another uh, it's another sequence where it was really tricky and it was really um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was risky. It was really risky, right? Because once you get under the water and you get that whole different point of view of the shark. Um, it becomes really easy at that point to give away, start giving away your your mystique of the shark and give away um, some of the the some of the look of the shark that may may not be up to standard, right? You, you may show too much at that point. We we do have underwater POV throughout the movie, but it's from the shark's point of view, not the not the people who are, are swimming or who are in the water, right? So this is kind of the first time in the movie where you're getting the people uh, point of view and not the sharks. And so it was risky move. Now, how they, they did this, again, for those of you who don't know, is they put, um, I believe the original intention was to put a little person in a cage with like a 10-foot shark to make the scale of the shark seem a lot bigger. I think that they had actually a little person actor or stuntman uh, on set ready to go, but when he saw the shark uh, come by and uh, mess with the cage, he basically opted out and said, no way, There's no you can't pay me enough money to get in that cage. Um, so... I forget exactly how they pulled this shot off. I know it's a mixture of real shark footage that was shot in uh, Australia, I believe, and uh, some footage of the mechanical shark. So it's kind of a mixture, and they just kind of use different camera angles and all that to to sort of keep the scale believable, right? Because the the shark from the real footage is like half the size of the mechanical shark, the shark in the movie, which I believe is around like 25 feet long, which is just a, you know, a freaking massive great white shark. But the one of the better shots you get in the film is the shark tearing the cage up. Now, this is real shark footage uh that was recorded uh on site by these uh basically shark handlers again i think in australia um when the shark that they were filming came up and got its nose stuck in the cage and just started flailing and going crazy so they used that footage to uh sort of stand in for the shark tearing the cage up trying to get hooper uh, and, and it works really well again it, it's all in the 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 trickery of the, of the camera and how long you, you choose to focus on stuff exactly where you put certain shots, but it's Spielberg and he did it beautifully. And, and so it works. It, it's really cool to have an underwater POV like that and it not look super cheesy and it not look super fake because you, you know, you do a really good job of handling real shark footage and the mechanical shark footage. So that's a great sequence, but that's kind of where you lose Hooper um, he has to swim down to the bottom. You spend the last few minutes of this movie not knowing whether or not he's dead or alive. You you know you 
you kind of from from Brody and and Quint's point of view, it's kind of assumed he's dead because when they pull the cage back up, he's not there and the cage is ripped to pieces. So it's pretty much assumed he's dead. Um, so he kind of exits, and you basically just have Brody there after Quint's death to either kill the shark or die. And the boat sinking, and he's like on the you know the top mass of this uh this boat as it's going down and he's about to be fully submerged in water the the boat's almost completely sunk and the way that he's lowering towards the water with that rifle and basically he knows and and it's it's so great how this works in the movie he knows that like i either hit this shot or he's about to come eat me and the the literal sinking feeling that you have from the boat going down and these are like the last seconds to to do anything it's just incredible and it's again it's one of those iconic endings to a movie um where it's just incredibly epic and you're on the edge of your seat and you you don't know what's going to happen um but it was beautifully shot again the way that they uh give you this this feeling of uh you know anxiety as he's lowering into the water it works beautifully. It's just another great example of you know Spielberg's greatness and and you know his uh, you know his vision with how to set things up um, is second to none. And it's it's always been one of my favorite endings of the movie. It's incredibly epic. Um, Jaws is one of the. It's one of these movies that I I like to sort of. Uh, I, I've always sort of classified it as horror for people who aren't horror fans right it's it's kind of more what you would call mainstream horror in fact i know quite a few people who love this movie who hate horror right but somehow jaws works because again um it's it 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 works as that genre it also works as just a big thriller and you know thrillers seem to work more for the mainstream crowd than horror movies do so you know jaws is one of those movies that i would definitely classify it as horror uh but also thriller and you know for a lot of people the thriller part of it the adventure part of it you know is a little bit more thriving than the horror part they can deal with seeing you know two or three people get brutally killed by this thing um because the rest of the movie is 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 so great and and you know they it sort of puts it in a position where people can handle it um and so it's just you know it it is one of those movies that uh was made and and nobody thought it would be you know it would do anything but it became you know this massive massive hit this massive success and you know really set steven spielberg on a path toward you know being Steven Spielberg, the Steven Spielberg that we know today. Um, and so, Jaws. It's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's definitely a summer movie that I love to watch. You know, my family, uh, just a, a fun little story here. My family, you know, we, growing up, we always went to the beach in the summertime and, and still do some years. And, and so... Um, this was a movie that always uh, made me think twice about going in the water. And it's kind of funny that this movie is kind of, it's that for a lot of people. Uh, this movie has really, 
scarred so many people um, in terms of not wanting to get in the water. And, you know, if they do get in the water, they don't want to go out very deep. And um, it's kind of crazy to think about this one movie having that effect on everybody. Now, I know that there's a lot of people within, like, the shark community or, um, you know, people who are just into marine biology who, you know, that's a big negative to them, that this is this is the kind of movie that's given people the wrong impression of sharks. And, you know, I don't really have an opinion on that one way or the other. I think that, you know, people should be afraid of sharks, in my opinion. Um, but are sharks like these... Uh, you know, big, huge, massive serial killers like are in this movie. No, this is a monster movie, right? It's not an animal movie. It's a monster movie. The shark is a monster in here. It's not your standard run-of-the-mill shark. That's what. That's literally what the whole movie is about. The fact that the, you know, there are sharks, and then there's what this thing is, right? It's it's, it's fictitious. It's you know, it's a made-up story. Uh, based off of the uh, the New Jersey shark attacks, though, from um, I'm trying to remember what period uh, the sh- those shark attacks were, I think it was nineteen sixteen, I believe, where you had the the Jersey Shore attacks, um, which, which basically, you know, I think within like a 10, 11 day period, you just had a bunch of these, uh, shark attacks up and down the coast of the Jersey shore. You had some of them that were really far inland because, um, there was a shark or two that were going up, uh, swimming up, I believe like, uh, these, these brackish rivers and, uh, you know, attacking people in places where shark attacks just didn't happen. And it was kind of this phenomenon known, known as Jersey shore shark attacks. So I know that, um, this movie was kind of loosely based off of that. I think, you know, four people ended up dying, uh, through those shark attacks, but obviously it's a very different kind of story, right? Those were different sharks. Who knows the reasoning for, you know, the sudden spike in attacks then, um, you know, just sort of this freak thing. But, um, again, I do know this is loosely based off that, but again, this is a monster movie. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's not as out there as like Jaws the Revenge, uh, where you have a, a, a jaw, a shark that is just personally attacking a family, um, which is, you know, if you've seen that movie, you know how kind of crazy that premise is, but, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is not Jaws 3 where, uh, uh, you know, a shark is, uh, you know, coming into a park to specifically to get revenge for its baby. I mean, it's not that out there, but it is a monster movie, right? It is a monster movie. So, you know, and there's all kinds of animal monster movies like this, right? Whether it be, you know, about an anaconda or a crocodile or an alligator or, uh, you know, I've seen everything from those to, uh, you know, a hog or, uh, birds. I mean, those are monster movies, right? Those are not how the animals typically behave. That's why it's a movie and it's fake and that's the story, you know? So, um, that's kind of my opinion on that. Um, so let's go through right quick. Let's go through some quick sort of trivia for the movie. Um, I always think it's kind of interesting to read some of this stuff, especially with, uh, these kind of movies where there was, um, you know, it was, again, it was made as this smaller thing, but it ended up becoming this hit. It's always fun to sort of read the, the trivia. 
Um, so several decades after this film's release, Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kittner, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kittner sandwich. She commented that she had played his mother so many years ago. The owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her, and he was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees, who, who had played her son, Alex Kittner. Um, and they had not seen each other since the original movie shoot. That's really cool. I think that um, the uh, sort of the uh, fun of the Alice Kittner sandwich is, uh, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Um, another one here. When, John, when composer John Williams originally played the score for director Steven Spielberg, Spielberg laughed and said, that's funny, John, really, but... What did you have in mind for the theme of Charles? Spielberg later stated that without Williams' score, the movie would only have been half as successful, and according to Williams, it jump-started his career. So this is this is a good point that I kind of I brought up a little bit, but I want to uh, uh, you know add to here. Spielberg's dead on here that without this score, the movie wouldn't have been near as good as it was. The score gives this feeling of epic to it, right? And I put this this movie in the same category as two other movies. One of them is another John Williams scored movie, which is Star Wars, right? The Star Wars movies, but especially that first one, when you just take it into context, would not have been near as epic without that music, right? The music adds so much to it. Another one is Halloween from 1978 by John Carpenter. That score that he added to the movie really gives the feel to the movie, right? And in fact, with that movie, John Carpenter showed the movie to people without the score, and nobody liked the movie. Adds the score to it, shows it again, people love the movie, right? And are terrified of the movie because the music... The score adds so much. You've heard me talk about this several times before. People do not realize, who are not really big movie fans, how much score adds to movie. It it can set the tone. And this is one of those movies where it does it beautifully. And John Williams, again, is just a master of, of his craft. Um, according to director Steven Spielberg, the prop arm looked too fake in the scene where Chrissy's remains are discovered. So instead, they buried a female crew member in the sand with only her arm exposed. Yeah, that's really... Uh, when you think back to this time period, there were a lot of instances in movies where some props just didn't look good and they went forward with them. And, um, you know, those are always uh, tough parts of movies for me when you see that because... Um, you can be so invested in a movie and then when you see something that looks super fake, again, going back to talking about the shark, um, it can take you out. So it's really important to, to make those kind of decisions. The, if the shark would have looked fake and, and people would have dropped their um, uh, you know, believa- believability in, in the shark at any point in the movie, then the movie just wouldn't have worked. So all of these decisions about you know, really going to to going into it, trying to make everything look real, is such a, a big thing. Uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss could not stand each other, and the two, the two argued all the time, which resulted in some good tension between Hooper and Quint. This is something I talked about earlier. Um, it's just really well known that those guys did not like each other. Um, According to writer Carl Gottlieb, the line, you're going to need a bigger boat, was not scripted but was ad-libbed by Roy Schotter. One of the most iconic 
uh, lines in the entire movie, one of the most iconic lines in movie history, right? Again, people who have not even seen Jaws know that quote. And it's just one of those kind of, uh, those lines in the movies that just lives forever, right? Um, Let's look at uh, a few spoiler um, bits of trivia here. The shark only has four minutes of screen time. That's incredible. That's incredible. I don't think that would work today. I think I think that we're such a different kind of audience today that people would very much uh, complain, very very much complain if if that happened. Um, but I would much rather have four minutes of a good looking shark than 45 minutes of a terribly cgi shark and that's really all i have to say about that um so in the original script quint was killed off by drowning the rope from the harpoon that he fires at the shark wraps around his foot and he is pulled under by the shark calling for brody to give him the knife um this was also the way the character was killed off in the book and according to an interview with Steven Spielberg about this scene, it is similar to the way Ahab dies in Moby Dick. However, it was decided that Quint should be eaten, as this would be the most tragic for the character based on his experiences on the USS Indianapolis, so the script was changed to what it is in the movie. Again, we talked about this. The way that scene was shot, the way it was written, it is tragic. Again, because you know what he's been through, and the lack of music, the lack of score just the way that's framed up it's it's one of the most scarring parts of the movie um but it works super well um let's see here we'll get one more in um peter benchley was not happy with steven spielberg's ending where the shark is killed when a compressed air tank explodes in its mouth claiming it was unrealistic. Spielberg defended himself by saying he will have held his audience's attention for two hours and they would believe anything in the end no matter how unrealistic or unbelievable the ending really was. Spielberg even thought of an ending where after the shark is blown up, Brody would look up to see s- several shark fans. Um, that would have been a cool ending, but I think it would have been extremely unnecessary. Um... I, I do enjoy the ending in the movie. Again, it's very iconic. I can see Peter Benchley's point with it. I can see where it is a little unrealistic. But, um, again, it's just the way it's done, the the, the iconic you know, line and the blowing up the shark. It's just great to me. And it's hard to imagine it going you know, any other way. Um, you know, Spielberg saying that he could have shown them anything and they would have believed it. And that's really true. When you have an audience in the palm of your hand, you know, you can do things like that. And uh, that is one of the reasons why it works so well, you know. Um, So, yeah. um, That's Jaws. Uh, Again, this is a movie I love. This is a movie that I've got a lot of memories with growing up. This was a movie that, you know, I used to rent a lot, especially during the summer. I did, uh, you know, I've, I've... of course, I've seen the sequels. Um, I don't have just a whole lot to say about the sequels, to be honest. Um, you know, Jaws 2, I think, is uh, an enjoyable movie. It's it's kind of similar to the first one. I mean, not really. It is, it is quite a bit different where you have these teenagers going out and the shark kind of hunting them down, and then Brody comes and saves the day. Um, 
there's just nothing spectacular about it. It's a fun movie, and you know, it's a movie that I enjoy watching when it's on, and um, I see it, but it's not to the level of the first one. Jaws three, I've never really liked at all. I, I never, I never did like the um, the the uh, like water, not water part, but like uh, theme part, marine park setting. Just never did like that. Hated the three three D stuff. There's parts of that movie that are that looked horrible in 1983, much less today. Um, with some of the 3D aspects, um, there's a couple of brutal kills in that movie, but um, other than that, I mean, there's just not, uh, you know, there's just not a whole lot about that movie that I've I've liked. I mean, I know it's got um, uh, a couple of uh, you know key cast members in it, um, including Dennis Quaid um, and Louis Gossett and Leah Thompson. I mean, those are you know some big time stars, but again, it's just, it, to me, it's just easily always the, the most forgettable one. Um, Jaws of Revenge is one that I've, uh, had a conflicted relationship with growing up. I always thought that movie was the best sequel. You know, I, I don't know why I, I think it's because it came back to, it felt a little bit more like the original with the, with the original family and Ellen Brody back. And, uh, you know, Michael Caine, I always liked a lot. Um, but when you watch that movie as an adult, um, boy, it's a bad movie, <laughs> right? It's a bad movie with a lot of bad premise. Um, uh, you know, some really, really terrible um, decisions regarding the shark. I mean, there's a part where the shark's you know, coming out of the water roaring like a lion. I mean, it's, you know, again, this idea that the shark is following this family and is on a mission to kill just specifically this family. And um, the opening of the movie I always thought was scary, even though it's just a bunch of jump cuts with the shark and it's kind of annoying and hard to watch. But I always thought it was a good ending set against, like, the Christmas music and everything. But... Uh, you know, the idea that the shark is following this family and even when they move hundreds of miles away, the shark follows them into like a completely different set of waters and, it, you know, it's still hunting them down. It's it's the most out there movie. It's ultimately the reason why the franchise died. To be honest with you, this is a franchise that should have just died with the first movie. Um, and just left it alone. I, I'm usually not a big fan of the, you know, leave it alone. I, I'm okay with sequels, but this is a, a great one-off story that you just probably really just didn't never need a sequel for. Um, this has been a movie that I've always thought will get remade. I'm incredibly, incredibly shocked that this movie has never been remade. Um, I still have no doubt that it will be at some point, uh, but... Um, you know, I think that will be a giant mistake. <laughs> um, but it, it's just one of those movies that it, it doesn't need a remake. It never really needed a sequel. Incredible one-off film. I don't think I'll ever review the sequels. I might. I could. I, you know, I say that, but I very well could. I have no plans to right now. Again, none of them I just really enjoy a whole lot. Um, but, yeah, that's Jaws, guys. It's still the best shark movie ever made. There have been many attempts to make better. Uh, never even came close to succeeding. Um, 
and and it's just one of those classic iconic films. This is Spielberg uh, in his heyday, and it shows he's an incredible filmmaker. And um, you know, this was really one of the big launching points for his career, um, as it should have been. Uh, Jaws is an incredible movie, and if you haven't seen it. Don't know why you just listen to all this. You probably just made a really big mistake. I spoiled a lot of things for you. But um, go see it. Definitely go see it. Make time to watch it. Um, I don't know why you haven't seen it yet. Um, because it's one of the best movies ever made. So, um, yeah, that's Jaws. Um, guys, I'm going to review The Flash this weekend. So expect that up on the channel as well. Um, again, if you're into the Ghostbuster stuff, check out the Ecto One Radio Show. Check out our YouTube channel. Doing some fun stuff over there with gaming. Um, at Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes, you'll find it. And um, yeah, thanks for the listen. Thanks for uh, the support. Go find our socials on Facebook and Twitter and give us a follow. That would be much appreciated. Um, but I'll see you in a few days, guys, when I review The Flash. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.